Today on Truth and Politics and Culture, an update on the Israel-Hamas war. Third quarter campaign finance numbers reveal who is winning the battle for, do- for dollars and who is fading fast. And the House votes today to see if it can elevate Jim Jordan to Speaker of the House. All this and more on today's show. This is Dr. Tony Beam, and it's time to crank it up. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining me live on Facebook. Those of you who are doing that, good morning. Hope you're having a great day so far. And uh, also, uh, it's a good morning to be a Cowboys fan. They somewhat righted the ship after a big loss to the 49ers. They they beat last night the Los An- they they won in Los Angeles last night, and um, they they won a pretty good victory, 20 to 17. But uh, it. <laughs> To be honest, it, it wasn't pretty, and uh, the game, there were times, once again, when the Cowboys got in the red zone and, and they couldn't score. They had to end up with a field goal. So anyway, uh, the Dallas saga continues, and a season that was supposed to be a run for the Super Bowl, it looks like it's going to be a season where we could end up with um, sort of a mediocre record. I, I still don't see, as I watch this team, the kind of fire and the kind of desire, uh, the play calling, any of the things that are necessary to be an elite team in the NFL. And I, I don't like saying that because I've been a Dallas Cowboy fan uh, for NFL pretty much all my life. But uh, that's just the way it looks to me at the moment. Um, if you're listening on the podcast today, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to give me a good review. If you enjoy the program, it's uh, probably true that others will like it too. So I hope you'll pass along the good news and uh, continue to help me grow the program. I've been doing this since, oh, end of March of this past year, so several months now, and uh, the program's grown significantly since then. It's doubled in size, actually, from when it began, but we still have a long ways to go. So if you enjoy the show, I hope you will help me to make it uh, to continue to grow the program. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I try to throw this out there every now and then because I know we're picking up new podcast listeners and folks on Facebook Live um, all the time. And so, where my landing place is the way I like to describe it is North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and society. I serve there as the director of church and community engagement and public affairs. And I also serve as the South Carolina Baptist Director of the Office of Public Policy, and uh, which means I go to Columbia from uh, time to time when the session, when the legislature is in session. Actually, at least two days a week when that's going on, sometimes three, and meet with lawmakers and talk about uh, legislation and try to advance legislation that we think will lead to human flourishing in South Carolina. That is to make South Carolina a better place to live culturally morally, uh, uh, financially, in every way. Uh, Right now, South Carolina has a great reputation for being a place where families can come and thrive, and we want to try to keep it that way with good legislation uh, to sort of set the groundwork for all of that. You know, government doesn't determine totally the, the, the way that life is carried out in a particular state, but it certainly can affect those decisions by the laws that it passes. So, Thus, I stay involved in that process, and I also serve as interim pastor. Uh, God has blessed me over these past 20 years that I've been at North Greenville University. I've actually, uh, I think I'm in my 20th interim. I sat down, started counting them up, um, and, and some of those are, I've been to the same church twice, so that doesn't necessarily, I've been, been in 20 different churches. I've actually been in about 16 different churches doing interim work. Uh, some of them more than once, as I said. So uh, I'm about to wrap up at Five Forks Baptist Church. Um, that's coming uh, at, at the end of this month, and um, in a couple of weeks, actually. And the new pastor, Jeff Black, and his wife, Sherry, are going to take over in November, 
And I'm excited to see what's going to happen with Five Forks Baptist Church with their with the new pastor. Eight o'clock this morning, we'll have an interview with Mitch Prosser. Mitch is the interim president of the Palmetto Family Council in South Carolina, which uh, I have the honor of serving as board chair for that organization. And uh, Chloe Cole is coming to the Upstate, sponsored by Palmetto Family. And uh, Mitch is going to give us the details about that. It's gonna be, he, she's going to be coming to First Baptist North Spartanburg. We're going to have a legislative leader lunch uh, on that Monday. And then that evening, doors will open for everybody to come and hear Chloe, Chloe's message. I mean, she's, she's an amazing person. Um, very tragic life as she was convinced to have a double mastectomy and to begin to transition from female to male. And now she's a detransitioner, and she talks about uh, a lot of the hazards of, of uh, transgender, uh, particularly minors, who begin that process and then later regret the process and, and try to, to go back to their original gender. So, and, and of course, you can't physically, at, at a molecular level or biological level, change your gender. You can do things that present and present yourself as a member of the opposite gender. Um, I saw someone yesterday who was doing that. I don't know who it was. I was walking into Haywood Mall, had to go by the Apple store because my iPhone was not making nice with my watch. And I had to have a little bit of help getting that worked out. And as I was, as I turned the corner at Haywood Mall inside to turn left to go to the Apple store, um, I, I was, I immediately saw uh, a, a guy who was wearing high-heeled boots and his, his hair, he was bald, no, no hair on his head whatsoever, but wearing makeup as a female and dressed as a female. So, you know, we, we see this kind of thing uh, all the time, but we forget particularly for minors, or at least sometimes we don't focus on the fact that for minors, this can be a heart-wrenching thing. It can be um, a terrible thing, uh, that they're not prepared as a minor to make a decision about what gender they're going to embrace. And making that decision and then later regretting it is affecting more and more people. And Chloe Cole is going to kind of shine the spotlight on that in a Palmetto family-sponsored event. So We'll be talking with Mitch Prosser a little bit later on about that. All right, the Biden administration and Western allies are working at this moment around the clock to keep Iran, Saudi Arabia, and other Middle Eastern countries from getting into the current war Israel is waging against Hamas. Israel continues to pound targets in, in, inside Gaza. They hit uh, over 50 targets in uh, really uh, ahead of President Biden's trip. President Biden will be going to Israel, I believe he's scheduled to be there Wednesday. Of course, he'll be meeting with uh, Prime Minister ben Benjamin Netanyahu and others as uh, they're trying to keep the keep Iran basically at bay. Um, right now, uh, Israel, even though they're pounding Gaza, they're checking out intelligence information that suggests once the IDF is fully engaged in Gaza, Hezbollah is planning to launch, launch a full attack from the north. Now, if they were to do that, uh, that, that, that would be devastating for Israel to have to fight a two-front war. And, of course, if they have information saying that Hezbollah was planning to wait until the IDF forces were fully engaged in Gaza and then launch an attack, so that, that, that would be devastating. I mean, it could be... Uh, Israel could be overwhelmed rather quickly. So they're shifting uh, military assets, uh, troops, everything they need to the northern border to be prepared should Hezbollah decide to come across the border. And that's one of the reasons that uh, Israel hasn't started the ground war in Gaza yet. Another reason is that it's been a minute since Israel has conducted ground operations, and they, they want to be sure that they're ready. I mean, they, the, the IDF hasn't engaged in extensive ground operations in a number of years, so they're making sure that everything is well prepared for the attack before they go in. The last thing that they want, of course, is another disaster uh, like they had when Hamas came across the border and Israeli security failed to detect it. Uh, Israel reported overnight that they've now confirmed the death of six high-level Hamas leaders in Gaza, civilian casualties 
of course, are rising uh, because Hamas continues to prevent any large-scale evacuation. They're blocking roads, uh, satellite imagery, and imagery from just uh, drones uh, show trucks stacked up along the major roads out of uh, northern Gaza, uh, keeping people from being able to flee to the south. You could see cars stacked up behind the trucks, and they were trying to get through, but they actually were ending up back uh, all, all the way back uh, for for miles, backed up trying to get out of, of northern Gaza to southern Gaza. Uh, Israel released video yesterday, video footage of Hamas firing rockets from the middle of a residential section of Gaza. So once again, one of the things that we need to understand in the West, which is difficult for us to understand, because we it, it, it's just unthinkable to us that in a, in a war that you would intentionally use civilians as human shields, that you would intentionally prevent people who are non-combatants from leaving a war zone because you want them to be killed for propaganda purposes. But that's exactly how Hamas is operating. And it is it, 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 it is an, an, a, just an abomination. I mean, I don't know whether I, to use a biblical word here. I mean, it's just a, a, a horrible thing that's happening. And the humanitarian crisis that's being created in Gaza is being created by Hamas because the way that they've treated their people uh, all of this can be laid at the feet of the terrorist who launched this attack on Israel. I know a lot of people are pointing toward the cutting off of water and food and humanitarian aid going into Gaza. And, and, and in fact, President Biden is probably going to be pushing, along with Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, he, or, or they're probably going to be pushing Netanyahu to open up at least food and water to flow back into Gaza uh, because of the humanitarian crisis. President Biden has been very strong in his statements in supporting Israel and supporting what they have to do uh, to try to weaken Hamas in Gaza. But right now, the president's getting a lot of pushback from within the progressive wing of the party, which is the majority of the party now. I mean, the, the, the Democrat Party has pretty much been taken over by progressives. And so they're pushing Biden hard to push Netanyahu to open up food and water. Um, and, of course, Netanyahu is resisting because the, he's he basically is claiming that they're not going to be able to get the hostages back if they don't keep the pressure up. And that's part of the reason for the siege. If you look at what the prime minister has said and what all of the uh, his spokespeople have said coming out of Israel is that the way that they can pressure to get the hostages back is to keep the pressure up on Hamas by keeping the power and the water turned off. So it's, um, you know, I, I, whether it, is that going to work? Um, when you're talking about people who are homicidal maniacs that are bent on the ideological destruction of their enemy, um, I'm not sure that a lack of food and water, and, and you can be sure that Hamas fighters have food and water aplenty. Uh, that they anticipated that, and they stored up supplies in the extensive tunnel network that they've built under Gaza that runs all the way under Israel. So um, I, I, I don't think necessarily that, um, that keeping water and food out of the area is going to result in getting the hostages back, but it's another pressure tactic that I doubt that Prime Minister Netanyahu is going to be willing to give up prior to the ground war beginning. Uh, despite the efforts of Hamas to stop civilians from fleeing south, several hundred thousand have been able to make it, and they're now congregating along the Egyptian border. Last week, Egypt closed the Rafah border crossing uh, between Gaza, uh, or between uh, rather um, Israel and, and Egypt. Uh, in the Sinai. They're, they're not allowing Gazan civilians to cross into Egypt, and they're also not allowing humanitarian aid from Egypt to flow into Gaza. And so all these people that are stranded on the border, are that's becoming a humanitarian crisis. On Monday, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said a deal is in the works yesterday, it was when this was said, that will open the border with Egypt and allow some of the refugees, at least, to cross over. What they're, what, 
the United States is basically asking is, look, there are people that you can vet, that you can know are not Hamas-related, not terrorists. You need to at least let some of them into the country, those that are in need of health care, um, some, some of the sick, the elderly, to, uh, and, and maybe some of the youngest, some of the children, to allow them to cross over into Egypt. Don't know how many people Egypt is going to let in, according to Anthony, Bil Anthony Blinken, the Rafah border, border crossing is going to open up soon. We don't know what exactly what soon means. Blinken and Netanyahu were meeting in Tel Aviv on Monday when Hamas launched a series of rockets that forced them into a bunker. So that's just another visible reminder of, of what's going on here. Um, also on Monday, Israel's top domestic security official took the blame for Hamas's successful surprise attack against Israel, Ronan Barr, who is the director of Shin Bet, uh, Shin Bet is Israel's internal security force. He said, quote, despite a serious, uh, or rather a series of actions we carried out, unfortunately on Saturday we were unable to generate a sufficient warning that would allow the attack to be thwarted. Uh, he went on to say that there would be a time for investigations, but now is not the time for that. Now is the time for fighting. And if you wonder what happened, I mean, everybody's been asking the question, what, what, how did Israel allow Hamas to come in so quickly, take so many hostages, and kill so many civilians before the IDF was able to drive them out of the areas that they occupied? I mean, you have to stop and think. Hamas didn't just come across the border, grab a few hostages, kill a few people, and then run back across the border. Hamas came in. They grabbed a lot of hostages, they killed a lot of people, and they occupied towns and territories in Israel for uh, at least 24 hours before the IDF forces were there in strong enough numbers to drive them out and to retake control of, uh, of, of the areas. And so Western uh, intelligence analysts have been looking at all of this and trying to analyze it and come up with reasons. And, of course, at this point, they're speculating as to why Israeli security failed. But one of the things that's being said over and over in several articles that I read about this is that when you look at Israel's security situation, they're depending too much on high-tech surveillance and not enough on detection through human intelligence. In other words, it, you know, being able to uh, pick up cell phone conversations, uh, that's great. Uh, being able to monitor movements from satellites is great. Being able to have all these sensors on the ground that picks up any Hamas activity. But in order to augment that, you need human intelligence. You need people who are observing things that are happening on the ground and passing that information along to Israeli security forces, to IDF. And ev evidently, um, that, that was not happening. They had, they had sort of begun to lean heavily on the tech side and not as much on human intelligence. And one of my fears is that the United States is doing that. Um, I, I'm concerned about our intelligence gathering apparatuses around the world ever since the debacle in Afghanistan. I mean, the, our intelligence uh, agencies, now, while they did recommend to President Biden that um, troops be left behind, that Americans leave a, America leaves a force in Afghanistan that would be sufficient to hold the Taliban at bay, and, of course, the Biden administration refused to do that and, and was the source of the debacle. But it, it bothers me that our intelligence officials didn't see how fast the um, a, the army in Afghanistan, the Afghanistan American-trained army, was going to disappear. Now, that's one of the things that Hamas has said. Now, you can't take anything that Hamas says at face value. I get that. But one of the things Hamas has said is they were amazed at how quickly um, the Israeli military pulled back once they began a full-out attack across the border. And so they're saying that the Israeli military is a paper tiger. Now, I don't believe that. Uh, that's Hamas rhetoric. I get it. But I think there is some concern that, once again, you cannot rely on technology as the end-all, be-all in human conflict when, you, when you're going into a war. You still, the wars are still won by the soldiers on the ground. 
and the quality of those soldiers, the training of those soldiers. Um, and so that's, you know, that you can have all the technology in the world. And if you don't have people willing to back up that technology in the manner in which they fight, then you're not going to win the war. Now, I'm not suggesting Israel doesn't have that willingness. I, they have demonstrated time and time again that their military is incredibly well-trained and that they will, were well-prepared for, for every attack that they've sustained over the years. Uh, but this one, I, I got to tell you, for some reason, this feels a little bit different to me. Um, I, Am I concerned that they're delaying the ground war? I mean, how many days now we've been hearing that Israel's about to go into Gaza? Well, they still haven't been into Gaza. So when is that going to happen? Well, I, I, I think that the reports coming out of the north are the reason, um, along as I, I said earlier, that they're making sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and that they're really ready for this. They don't want to get in there. They're looking for traps. The um, IDF forces realize that Hamas is going to have booby traps all within the city. I mean, if you if you like movie re references, think of the Hunger Games, the last movie in the Hunger Games, when you, you had to have some type of um, detection device to find all the booby traps as the forces began to move into the capital. Well, this is going to be a, a scenario that's not completely unlike that. Now they're going to have the hype, the sophisticated uh, science fiction stuff that was in the Hunger Games, but, but you are going to have um, traps set for tanks. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to be, because of the extensive nature of the tunnel system that's under Gaza, uh, the Israelis are, are going to have to have a pretty good idea of where Hamas is hiding in those tunnels, or they could pop up just about anywhere, and it could be a disaster. I mean, you get Israel significant numbers of Israeli forces into Gaza, and then Hamas pops up along their rear guard, um, that could be a disaster. Now, Israel has called up 300,000 troops, so it's it, they've got the resources that they need, and I'm sure they're going to be prepared for a rear, a rear guard action. But still... That takes a lot of planning, uh, but but the the forces they're there, they're ready to go, and they have yet to be deployed, which tells me that the Israeli military is concerned either about the possibility of a trap, uh, the possibility of Hezbollah getting on the move, the possibility of Iran getting into the conflict, or they're just concerned about the readiness of their own forces. Um, as, as they get ready to cross the border and engage the enemy in what could be uh, a protracted war. Yesterday, Hezbollah claimed that they attacked five Israeli military positions, inflicted casualties on the military, uh, on those military bases. The Iranian foreign minister vowed, and, and this, is, this is not encouraging words here, uh, he vowed, quote, the axis of resistance will respond to war crimes, and if Israel invades Gaza, no one can guarantee control over the situation and prevent the conflict from spreading. Well, of course that's true. There's not anybody that can guarantee that. In addition to two carrier groups, the United States has repositioned planes into the area as a show of force, and Israel has evacuated 28 towns around their northern border with Lebanon, uh, the home of Hezbollah, and they are strengthening their forces in the area. Uh, I was reading a report yesterday that said that the United States has a Marine strike force, about 2,000 strong, that is getting ready to be deployed to Israel. Now, they're not going to actually be fighting, according to the report. They're not going to be in the front lines of the battle against Hamas, but they're going to be in the background uh, helping the Israeli government with providing aid and support to as as the uh, as the ground invasion begins. Now, I look. I, I'm glad that we're not talking about American soldiers going into harm's way in terms of being at the front of the battle. But you're inserting American ground forces into a war zone, uh, and that's what happened. That's what's happening here. That's more than we've done in Ukraine. Now, there are reports that have come out of Ukraine that say that there have been Navy SEAL groups working inside Ukraine to help train the Ukrainian army and to uh, pro provide intelligence information to uh, the Ukrainian commanders. 
But we're talking about Marines here. We're talking about 2,000 battle-trained Marines that is the elite strike force that is going to be working inside Israel, possibly, at least. That's what it appears. I mean, obviously, there there have been a, a number of soldiers that have been notified that they're about to be deployed, and they don't tell them where, uh, but they're sitting on ships in the Mediterranean, so uh, it's not hard for them to figure out where they're going to end up. They're not going into Gaza. They're not going to be American soldiers fighting there, but being inserted into a war zone still opens up the possibility for American soldiers to be in a shooting conflict. Just something to keep in mind as this thing continues to go. Um, all right, third quarter campaign finance reports. I thought this was pretty interesting. Trump is still the big leader in the polls and in raising money for what I call his legal defense fund, uh, better known as his presidential campaign. I mean, the, the amount of money that Trump is spending on lawyers is astronomical, but he still is raising money for his campaign. He raised $24.5 million from July to September. That was about twice as much as any other GOP candidate, and he has nearly $38 million cash on hand. President Biden raised $25 million during the same time period. This information, by the way, is coming from, coming from Daily Wire's Morning Wire program. He has about $38 million. Uh, well, that's President Trump. Biden raised $25 million, and uh, he raised his spending, though, from about $1 million to $13 million and gained no ground in the polls on the top issues that the American people care about. In fact, he went backward during that time period while he was spending all that money. Uh, the Biden campaign reports about $32 million cash on hand. DeSantis raised $15 million. He was second among Republicans. Haley raised $11 million. Tim Scott reported $13 million cash on hand, but he was the big spender in the last quarter from July to September. He dropped about $13 million in advertising and expanded ground operations, but he didn't affect his poll numbers at all. And Scott's super PAC, Rob Collins, announced that it had canceled $40 million in ads scheduled for the fall because, as Collins says, the electorate is not focused on this election yet. And unless there's some kind of breakthrough, they're throwing money away by spending millions of dollars in ad campaigns. It's not going to change anybody's opinion. And I, th I think that's probably true. They're going to save the money until there's some movement in the electorate that would say that anybody has a chance to overtake Trump. Vivek Ramaswamy uh, has $4.2 million on hand. Chris Christie raised $4 million in the quarter. Mike Pence is in big trouble. He raised just $1.2 million, and he's got about $600,000 in debt. So uh, that's where the candidates stand. In Louisiana, there was a big win for Republicans. Republican Attorney General Jeff Landry won the open jungle primary. I mean, what, what happens is that everybody gets in this, Democrats, uh, Re Republicans, independents, whatever, and it's just a big free-for-all election. And Jeff Landry pulled off an, a, a victory big enough. He got over 50% of the vote, which means he won. He's going to be the governor of Louisiana, and he'll take office January 8th. Uh, Democrat Governor John Bell Edwards is in his second term, so th this, is, this is winning back the only governor's office in the Deep South that wasn't held by a Republican. And that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's a big win for um, Republicans as they take back Louisiana. Why does that matter? Well, it matters going into 2024, not only for the presidential race, but for down-ballot races as well. Uh, when you've got uh, Republican administrations in states, that just gives advantage Republicans uh, as it comes to the election. All right, we're waiting for Mitch Prosser. He's the interim president of Palmetto Family. He's going to give us a call and talk about an event coming up uh, November 6th, which is going to be at First Baptist North Spartanburg. We're going to be welcoming Chloe Cole to the upstate. Uh, we have a number of sponsors that are helping us support this event, and we're going to be opening up the doors to the public. We just want people to come and hear her message, and in hearing her message, uh, you'll have an opportunity to find out more about Palmetto Family. Mitch Prosser's on the phone. Good morning, Mitch. How are you? Good 
morning, Dr. Beam. I'm great. How about you? Well, I'm doing pretty well. You sound like you're on the road. I'm sure you've got another busy day ahead. Yes, sir. Uh, it's a great day in South Carolina, and we get the opportunity at Palmetto Family to be all across the state and share the message of what we're doing with the people uh, today in Graniteville and Clearwater, Lexington, uh, some great places. Uh, looking forward to being in the upstate on November the 6th. Absolutely. Tell us about that event because that's going to be, um, we're going to have Chloe Cole coming to First Baptist North Spartanburg for, for a couple of different events. Right. Uh, so for those that aren't familiar with Chloe, she's a 19-year-old California girl. And for those that don't believe California can, that California can come to our Carolina, she'll be here on November the 6th. At eight years old, her parents were posed with the question, would you like a live son or a dead daughter? by doctors in the state of California. At 13, she began puberty and hormone blockers. At 15, a double mastectomy. And then Dr. Beam, at 16, she had a question. And the question was, maybe I want to be who God made me to be. Maybe I want to be a mother. Maybe I want to nurse children. And so she began the process of detransitioning, which is obviously a new word to be added to the Oxford English Dictionary. She began the process of detransitioning back into who God made her to be. She has a compelling story that she's been on CNN, Fox News, in front of the Congress to testify on behalf of those who have been taken advantage of by woke doctors, not just on the left coast, but across the United States, including chemically here in the state of South Carolina. So for those that say California hasn't yet come to our Carolina, that just simply isn't true. We have reports as young as four years old, uh, affected by chemical uh, hormone therapy. Right. It's a, it is a, it's a nationwide problem. It's a worldwide problem. And one of the interesting things about this debate and this discussion is that the United States is actually lagging behind European, European countries that were leading the way for a long time when it came to transgender and uh, transgender issues related to minors. Uh, but as the results have come in, European countries are backing away while the United States is still trying to decide which direction it's going to go. And Chloe Cole's message along those lines is all the more important because of that. Absolutely. And speaking of lagging behind, and I'm grateful that the Europeans have finally figured out that this may just be um, against nature. Um, South Carolina is the hole in the donut of the southeast. Our, our state is lagging behind in protections for minors. And that's really what this event on November the 6th in Spartanburg at First North Baptist, uh, First Baptist of North Spartanburg is all about, is our help not harm campaign, ensuring that children have their protections granted to them uh, naturally by God-given right, not to have harm inflicted on their bodies by the woke uh, medical agenda and parents who are influenced by the, uh, the terrible academic movement that is, uh, unfortunately, Doc, they're hell-bent on making sure that children are, are mutilated, either chemically or by the scalpel. And so this Help Not Harm campaign uh, that we're working on with uh, ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, we're working on it with our, our friends at Family Policy Alliance, Palmetto Family is a part of that network, ensuring that children are protected here in the state of South Carolina. And of course, the South Carolina Baptist Convention also uh, has passed Absolutely. resolutions about this, and we are um, uh, joining in the efforts to try to make sure that South Carolina protects our children, protects minors from this kind of thing. And there, there's some good news uh, actually out today as the court system continues to support states uh, that are passing laws that protect minors from gender confusion. Uh, In fact, a federal district court in Idaho declined to halt the operation of a state law mandating that public schools separate their bathrooms and housing accommodations by biological sex. So this is coming as more federal courts across the country are concluding that state laws preventing the expansion of gender identity rights Uh, are constitutional, that states do have a right to pass those laws. One of the things we run into in South Carolina, and please understand, I'm not being overly critical here of people in the legislature who raise the question 
of whether or not a law can be sustained constitutionally. But, but right now, that argument is getting weaker if you're concerned, if you're afraid that South Carolina is going to do something that the Constitution won't support. Federal courts are ruling that states have the right to protect minors when it comes to these issues. You're absolutely right, Dr. Beam. I was just I was literally just on the phone with a, a state senator about this issue. He's been on the forefront of and he he and I have been in great discussions along with several of our other allies, along with members of the House. And not only is the judiciary branch waking up, the legislature is also coming to the realization, not only here in South Carolina, but across the United States, that we've got to do something, we've got to do it soon or else we are going to be bulldozed by the woke left a liberal agenda that is literally, I mean, this is not hyperbole. I, I, wish, I wish we were making this up. They are literally trying to destroy the fabric of the family, the nuclear biblical family. They are trying to destroy, and they'll attack it any way they can, whether it's fathers, whether it's mothers, whether it's marriage, whether it's children, and telling them, you know, I've got three little boys. And, and, and you've met them, Doctor Beam. They're they're a ball ball of energy. I've got a I've got a little boy, and that that's cool. Okay, he's secret, and for all of your listeners, they're probably already figured it out. He's never going to be Spider Man, and that's a that's a thing that we can. Okay, you can be Spider Man, sure, but tomorrow he's going to want to be Superman, and the next day Batman. When when we tell kids they can be anything they want to be. My goodness, we are we are really hurting them when we sell them this bill of goods that they can be something other than who God created them to be. God created two people, male and female, and created them in his image. And that's a message that Palmetto family, and I know you with the Southern Baptist of South Carolina, that's a message that we're not backing down from, whether uh, Woke, Woke Inc., Big Tech, whoever, they want to shut us down. We're not backing down. We're doubling down. And we're going to make sure the message of hope that who God created little boys and little girls and men and women to be is exactly who they should be. And they can be okay with who God created them to be. That's well said, Mitch. I appreciate that. And, and you know, of course, um, children do understand the difference between fantasy and reality. As they, you know, I, I, I'm, I, we've got the same thing. Some, uh, a couple of my grandkids are big. We're big time into Spider Man. They're big time into a lot of uh, Marvel characters and other characters that they like to pretend to be. But they understand the difference between pretend and reality. And we don't do them any well. We do them great harm. Let me put it that way. If we blur that line and convince them that something that they believe about themselves that it, it, at, at the level of, of, of gender, um, that they can actually change their gender as a minor when they're, they're nowhere near prepared to make that decision. I mean, look at Chloe, just look at Chloe Cole's um, history. Eight years old is when this started. 13, she decided tr she's transgender. And then at 16, uh, 15 rather. Mitch Prosser. Oh, sorry about that. I must have lost him. Uh, okay, welcome I'm, back. I'm back. Yep, no problem. We got you back. So anyway, and and it's yes, at 15, she's has her her breasts removed, um, yes. and and then as she got a little bit older, and as she matured, she realized that that's not a path that she wanted to walk. But by then, it was going to be di very difficult for her to walk back. So just, it's just incredibly important that we get the right message out. All right, the event at First Baptist North Spartanburg, tell us the details. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm going to post a link in, in the comments section of the, the Facebook post here in just a moment. But on uh, November the 6th, we have a general assembly. It is free to the public, but we are asking people to get tickets so that we have a good, accurate head count for the venue. Um, at First Baptist North Spartanburg, the event is at 7 p.m. on November the 6th. There are VIP tickets available if you'd like to meet Chloe and have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with her. She's a wonderful young lady. And let me, let me tell you this. She's not 25, 30, 35, 40. She is 19 years old. Right. This young lady is a hero. For, I mean, she's lost friends and family members. 
who want nothing to do with her because of the stand that she's taking. So if you want to meet her, we've got VIP tickets available. You can meet her, get to, get to spend a few minutes with her, uh, heavy hors d'oeuvres for that as well. We've got a lot of great stuff going on. If you're interested in helping us sponsor the event, uh, these events aren't uh, cheap to put on. Uh, we'd love to have you come alongside and partner with us to sponsor the event. So uh, November the 6th is going to be an exciting time. We're so grateful for Dr. Mike Hamlet at First Baptist of North Spartanburg in hosting this event. And we just can't wait to see so many of our friends, supporters, investors in the upstate in Spartanburg on November the 6th to help Chloe Cole and Palmetto family share a message of hope that there is hope for children in South Carolina that they can be helped and not harmed. Absolutely. Um, you can find out more information at palmettofamily.org. And as uh, Mitch just said, he's going to have information out on Facebook. Of course, we're sending out emails to um, we, we've had we have a pretty extensive email list and we're sending out information to all of our our partners and supporters. Uh, but we want everyone to come to this and to hear Chloe's message. Uh, we we and as we get into January at Palmetto Family, along with our one message partners, are going to be leaning in and giving information to the legislators that will help them make this decision about how best to protect minors in South Carolina from, from this kind of thing. So this is any of your support for Palmetto Family uh, obviously helps us to be uh, effective in our information campaign that we hand out to legislators. So, Mitch, I really appreciate uh, what you're doing, appreciate your leadership at Palmetto Family. Uh, let me ask you quick, quickly just uh, your thoughts on what's going on in the Middle East right now. Uh, I mean, I know all of us, as, as Christians in particular, are following this, um, and it really, it, it, it really feels like that this, is a, this has a little bit more weight to it than things that we've seen in the past. How, how do you see it? I, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Doc. I, you know, first of all, I think we ought to pray for the nation of Israel. Pray yes. for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm yes. 122. But, you know, I, I remember as I was growing up, oh, Hezbollah attacks Israel, Hamas attacks Israel. The, there's, You're absolutely right. This has more weight to it than anything I've ever felt in my lifetime. And I know that I'm young, but I I think that this carries with it some weight, and there is some uh, there's some anticipation in the moment. I was listening to you a little while ago, asking that looming question of if if Israel is going to roll into Gaza, and they are going to, as the military community would say, cover their six. When is that going to happen, and what is that going to look like? And then, as the foreign minister has said, we can't guarantee that. Uh, widespread conflict is not going to break out in the region. Right. What is America's response going to be when, and if, if and when that happens? You know, there's a lot going on there, and there's a lot to unpack. I'll say this. Our support should always full-throated, uh, be full-throated and uh, strong backbone for the nation of Israel. Yes. And we should support them as best as we can with uh, whatever we can. And I think there's some good plans out there to quell uh, conflict in the region, uh, whether or not those plans are effectuated, as we heard on Friday with Senator Lindsey Graham. While there may be the means to quell the uh, conflict, the question is, is, is there will to right. do that? Well, you and know, so, we're talking about, as I talked about earlier, you know, the possibility of a Marine strike force with 2,000 Marines going, being ready to deploy. Now, there's yeah. the only one place that they're going to be deployed. Uh, they're not going into Gaza. They're not going into Lebanon. They're not going into Iran. They're going to end up in Israel. And although the plan, as I have understand it, would be for them to give aid to the Israeli, uh, the IDF behind the lines uh, with humanitarian efforts and so forth, um, you know, still you've got combat soldiers in a war zone, um, and that's, you know, who knows where that can end up. So we need to pray about that. I, I'm also hopeful 
that the president's efforts in working with Egypt is going to get the the border open, that Egypt will yeah. allow East, at least those Palestinians that have been able to, um, you know, get around Hamas blocking blocking them. There's several hundred thousand stacked up on the border. If at least those that are sick and need medical attention could get into Egypt, maybe the children, uh, some of the children, and then some humanitarian aid primarily flow from Egypt into those refugees that are on the border, uh, I think that would be, uh, we, we certainly need to pray for the innocents as well. You know, there, there are innocent people here. Not everybody in Gaza is a Hamas terrorist. Um, and right. so those people that are being um, have been under the thumb of Hamas for uh, since 2004, uh, they they need for us to obviously to pray for them and to try to get some kind of humanitarian aid to them without undermining Israel's um, military advance into Gaza against Hamas. So it's a complicated it's a complicated situation to say the least. You bet. But you bet. It, imagine. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, imagine a country uh, honoring a sovereign border, um, right. which, is, which yeah. is so foreign to most of us. So, yeah, pray for the people there. And Hamas doesn't care about those people. Uh, so we've got to pray that they are protected no matter what. Well, Egypt, you, you know, people are uh, – there are a lot of critics of Egypt right now saying, look, they need to open their border. But you can't allow, you can't allow hundreds of thousands of Palestinians to come in without some kind of vetting process, because the last thing Egypt wants is to have Hamas established in their borders. Um, so, uh, you know, I understand the Egyptian government's thinking on this. Uh, they're going to have to strike a balance between offering humanitarian aid and helping those who are in need and protecting their own national security. Uh, it's And that's something the United States has to do as well. All right, Mitch, uh, you, I really appreciate the call this morning. Thanks for spending so much time with us. Uh, we'll make sure that the word gets out about Chloe Cole coming to the upstate. And uh, God yes, bless sir. you, brother, on your travel today. Thank Have you, a good day. Thank you, brother. God bless you, sir. Yes, sir. All right, Mitch Prosser, interim president at Palmetto Family. And um, again, um, information about Chloe Cole and her visit to the upstate on November 6th will be available um, at palmettofamily.org, and you can also um, find it at, at our Facebook page, and, of course, it'll be posted there. And I think Mitch was going to post it, uh, make sure it got up on, on my Facebook page. So um, I hope you'll join us for that. All right, real quick here, as we get close to the end of the program today, I wanted to talk for a minute. I, I, we're we're going to talk about Jim Jordan and his effort to take back um, – the House or to take the, the House speaker position, which there's going to be a vote later today if Republicans can get their act together. I don't think they'll allow a vote. They may allow a vote that fails if they know that succeeding votes are, are going to end up electing Jordan as speaker. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in some more detail here in a second. But there's a piece out uh, at The Daily Signal by David Harsnall, and I've really been following the life and saga of Jack Phillips. And for those of you who don't know who Jack Phillips is, he's the Masterpiece Cake Shop owner in Colorado that's been under the gun from progressives for about 14 to 15 years now. I mean, it's, it's just incredible incredible. Uh, what he has endured by simply wanting to run his business, a cake shop, uh, by Christian principles, by principles that are deeply held by him because he is an evangelical believer. Um, for the first time, from from the first time that his name appeared, and this is coming from the article by uh, Harsnall, from the first time his name appeared in the news until this day, the media have misled the public about him about the case and about the law. The latest chapter in Phillips' saga uh, involves a transgender lawyer named Autumn Scardina who demanded Phillips create a pink cake with blue frosting to help celebrate a gender transition. As expected, Phillips, who had already spent years fighting the government uh, coercion of his, of his religious beliefs, refused to participate. 
The Colorado Civil Rights Commission agreed that Scardina had been discriminated against as a transgender person. Of course they did, because they demonstrated the very reason that the Supreme Court came down on the side of Jack Phillips before is because the uh, Colorado Civil Rights Commission demonstrated clear animus toward Jack Phillips' Christian faith. And, and they said that, that absolutely could not be the case. Then the dishonorable A. Bruce Jones of the 2nd Judicial District upheld the commission's flagrant attack on free, uh, free expression. Now the Colorado Supreme Court has agreed to take up the case. So the entire case is built on this contortion of logic and the law, according to Harsnall. This, again, coming from Daily Signal today. The Colorado Court of Appeals, for instance, ruled in favor of Scardina, contending that the colors pink and blue weren't really speech because in and of themselves, they aren't expressive of anything. The message, says the court, is generated by the observer. And because Phillips isn't a complete idiot, he understands that context matters. The color white has no inherent meaning either, but if a known Klansman asked a tailor to fit him for some white sheets, then it has meaning. So meaning of these words is demonstrated by context, and you cannot remove the contextual um, setting from a word and it have the meaning that we would understand. Then, then again, if you believe Scardini just happened to approach the most famous Christian baker in the country to create a transition cake, the same day, by the way, that the Supreme Court announced it would hear the Masterpiece Cake in, uh, case in 2017, then there's a whole lot of things that you would believe that are just not true. Uh, the entire Scardina episode, including the configuration of the cake, using colors but no words, was calibrated to set Phillips up. In the initial complaint to the Civil Rights Commission, Scardina claimed to be stunned by Phillips' rejection. It should be noted because it isn't in any media coverage that Phillips' lawyers had very good reason to suspect Scardina whose name appeared on a caller ID, first requested an image of Satan smoking marijuana. I mean, this is, this is part of the case, is that that's what originally the request was about. Later, an email was sent to the shop requesting a three-tiered white cake with a large figure of Satan, um, and then I, I can't even tell you what this image was doing. Um, I'm not going to say that on the program, but it was disgusting. Let's put it that way. Um, then again, Scardina admitted that it was a setup, as the Associated Press reported last year. According to the activist lawyer, she called Phillips Masterpiece Cake Shop to place the order after hearing about the court's announcement because she wanted to find out if he really meant it. It was more of calling someone's bluff. Well, uh, this, this is the thing that we need. I, 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 for those of you who listen to the radio program all those years, you know that for a long time now, I keep a framed picture of Jack Phillips on my desk. Deco he's decorating a cake. It's a great picture of him plying his craft. And I keep it there to remind me that there are, we live in a day and age when Christians are having to fight for their right to operate their business and to live their lives in public according to the teaching of God's word. And I, to me, Jack Phillips has and always will be, has been and always will be a hero because he's been willing to subject himself to this for close to 15 years now as he's been going through all these court cases and they just keep coming after him because he's won and they can't take it. They can't have someone who is a strong believer win according to their Christian faith and have that decision stand. This is probably going to end up going back to the Supreme Court should they choose to take it. Now, what concerns me, uh, the Colorado Supreme Court is, is to the left, and it's, it's very likely that they're going to uphold this decision. And then is the United States Supreme Court going to be willing to take up this case again about Jack Phillips? I, I have no idea, but I know this. I know that Jack Phillips, because of his commitment to Christ, because of the change that's come over his life, is not going to give in and be forced to do things that are contrary to his deeply held belief in what the Bible teaches about gender and sexuality. 
I, I, I just I don't I know that he will not do that. I think he would rather lose everything because it, it, if, if you know Jesus said, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what, what, what gain have you really achieved? You know Jack Phillips is somebody who's willing to lose the whole world to retain his commitment to biblical truth. And that makes him somebody that, you know, I, I ask myself sometimes, how, how would I respond if I had been under this kind of legal pressure for this long amount of time? Uh, Jack Phillips has borne up well, and so we need to remember to pray for him as this thing goes forward in Colorado because it's, again, I, 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 whether this ends up before the Supreme Court or not, um, I, I, I really fear that the Colorado Supreme Court will end up ruling against him. All right, let me talk a little bit about um, Jim Jordan, because if, if you see a vote today in the House of Representatives for Speaker, then that means that Jordan may not win on the first ballot, but it will mean that Republicans believe that enough pressure can be brought to bear in subsequent votes that the opposition to Jordan will dwindle and he'll get the votes necessary to be Speaker of the House. Uh, last week, it didn't look like Jim Jordan had a chance. Uh, he only had about 180 Republicans on his side. He's got to have 217 to get the gavel. But over the weekend, as he's been working and into this week, he's been able to turn more and more people. A series of members, according to the Wall Street Journal, a series of members who had indicated they wouldn't back him switched course, including Representative Mike Rogers, who chairs the House Armed Services Committee. That was huge because last week, Rogers told reporters that there was no action that Jordan could take that would win his support. But then yesterday, Rogers said he would, he would back Jordan um, and after citing thoughtful and productive conversations they had about pending legislation on military policy, spending levels, and even on foreign policy. Uh, Representative Ken Calvert, Republican of California, who chairs an appropriations subcommittee on defense, said he also spoke to Jordan about national security and appropriations goals and will be supporting him for speaker. Representative Ann Wagner, Republican of uh, Missouri, said she would back Jordan after he allayed my concerns about keeping the government open. She had previously called Jordan a non-starter. So, Representative, oh, I got uh, I got Siri thinks I'm talking to her. Okay, now oh, I got I got her quieted down over here. Representative um, Michael McCall of Texas, he's chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, said he would support Jordan. He said Jordan told him that he was open to the idea of a package combining spending for Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, and the border. A handful of Republicans said they remained opposed, showing Jordan still had some work to do. So just look, watch the voting today. If they hold a vote, uh, that probably means that it, it's even if Jordan doesn't get elected on the first ballot, it means that Republicans have decided that because of all these leaders in the House that have decided to support Jordan and because of pressure they believe they can bring to bear, I mean, you know, things are not getting done in the House. Um, and we're in a time of international crisis. Um, the House needs to function. And I think that pressure, as more and more people begin to lean toward Jordan, could cause enough Republicans to support him. Now, some of the Republicans that were for McCarthy, they don't want Jordan because they see that as a reward to Matt Gates and to the others, to the eight Republicans in all that started this mess to start with when they kicked uh, Kevin McCarthy out of the Speaker's chair. Um, but it, as we... You know, as, as I said, as the pressure gets ramped up, it's likely that even those, um, the people that are concerned about that, are going to come over to Jordan's side to be able to resolve this thing. There doesn't appear to be anybody else who is going to be able to win the Speaker's chair. And the only other option is to make some kind of deal with the Democrats to share power in the House with a Speaker that would be in place, that would be a Republican. But they would, in order to get them elected with Democrat support, they would have to give up so many things that essentially the Democrats would win in this debate. 
And uh, that would be bad for Republicans right now. I mean, I, I know that we need a speaker, but the things that re- the Democrats are demanding um, are not things that, the re- that Republicans can go along with. And, of course, if the base sees Republicans giving over power to Democrats on key issues right before the 2024 election, uh, that's going to be an impossible thing for them to do. So we'll wait and see how the vote goes today. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the program today. I've enjoyed being with you. I have always appreciate our time together. And, uh, of course, I'll be back in the morning at 7.30. We do this every morning live on Facebook. And then later on, of course, you'll be able to download the podcast. I'll get it uh, loaded up here in just a few minutes. You should be able to download it within about 45 minutes. And I hope you really have a great day today. God bless you. And again, thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you decide to follow me on the podcast, please take just a minute and leave uh, a positive review if you enjoy the program. And if you like the Facebook Live program, please share the the program to others. Uh, I appreciate the dialogue that takes place on Facebook Live and uh, would encourage that to continue. God bless you. Have a great day.